The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. I am the baby boomer. I'm Jason Kanander. I am a writer for Gojo Bruna Fansided, and in one month, I will be a student at UT Austin. We hope, right? In this episode, you know, we don't always get along, but we get along when we're talking sports. And so we we like to bring sports into the conversation um, here at home. And so in this episode, we're trying to get a grip on sports returning amidst COVID-19. And and Jason, let's start with what you just said. You hope to be a, a, well, you will be a student at UT Austin in another month. How do you feel about returning to a college campus amidst COVID-19? Well, I mean, I feel pretty good about it considering the fact that, you know, I've been waiting for this for so long and, and I'm, I'm just generally excited to get college started. Now, um, me personally, I've always tried to obviously be cognizant of the outbreak and of the pandemic, but also still try to maintain a sense of normalcy. So being able to go to school just in general will be great. Um, albeit I am going to school um, in a state and in a city, which is one of the nation's hotspots. So that worries me a little bit, but generally I feel really good about going to school. I'm excited for it. And aside from uh, large gatherings and not many of my classes being in person, I think it'll be a semi-normal experience. Okay, so you said maybe you're a little uncomfortable with it because it's a hot spot. What do you think you're going to be doing differently in your lifestyle to be safe? I mean, what do you, is it going to be hard for you to be the guy that's, you know, has hand sanitizer well, first, and stuff first, like that? Who said I'm going to be the guy that has hand sanitizer? I, well, I was hoping you would be. No, so <sighs> the things that are going to be different in my life are at Texas, we have to wear masks everywhere inside. Um, whereas, you know, like when I'm with my friends, I'm not wearing a mask around. Um, obviously when I'm in public, when there are places where masks are mandatory, I'm wearing a mask, I'm sanitizing when I get in my car. So, um, being more aware of the regulations and of the procedures is definitely going to be big. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, honest to God, I think that it's just going to be whatever the university dictates as what we have to do is going to be how my life adjusts. I'm not going to go below what the university says, above what the university says. I'm just going to go with the flow because I am a freshman and I am new to the school, new to the city, new to the state. So um, I'm just going to take note of what everyone else is doing and follow suit. All right, because I am a mom, so I have to ask you, would you ever share drinking cups, you know? Uh, Absolutely not. Okay. So with, well, I mean, it, it, drinking cups, it doesn't matter if it's alcoholic, non-alcoholic. Even with our friends, what we do is we make sure that when, you know, we have like red solo cups or when they're open cans, open bottles, we make sure everybody knows which is theirs. Don't drink out of the same cup. Okay. So it, everybody takes note. Everybody's aware. Everybody's, I mean... Nobody's oblivious to the pandemic. Right. So, and no. everyone's kind of doing something, right? So it's not like you're doing anything different from anyone else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. So let's turn the attention to sports. Sports is finally trying to come back, right? So let's go through the major sports in the United States, uh, the major leagues, and, and tell me where we stand right now. Let's start with baseball. So with baseball, baseball is perhaps the most normal return. So what Major League Baseball is doing was last week, I believe, all the players had to report to their ballparks. Everybody's tested daily. 
Um, the players that tested positive are away from the f- team facilities. Um, they need to test negative consecutive times and pass the league protocol. Um, so far, only a number of only a couple players that tested positive have returned um, to practicing and playing in inter squad games. But uh, Major League Baseball, it's going to be a sixty game season. Um, only teams in the same division and then in the corresponding division in the opposite league. So AL Central plays all AL Central and NL Central teams and vice versa for every other division. Um, so the the length of the season is going to be weird. The no fans in the seats is going to be a little bit weird, but otherwise it'll be a pretty pretty normal return. And the players finally came to an agreement with the owners as to uh, their salaries, right? So they the get- players actually never came to an agreement oh, they with the didn't. owners. The league mandated the 60-game season, and then the players agreed to the 60-game season, but it doesn't go past 2020, which is a problem because the CBA expires after next year. So there's a lot of unfinished business, a lot of relationships that need to be mended. So the players and owners never officially came to an agreement. So players can opt out, and not, it, they just don't get paid, right? If they decide not to play this season? So the players that opt out that have that are either high risk or have an immediate family member that is high risk are the ones that will get paid. The players that decided to opt out for personal reasons, just out of an abundance of caution, will not be paid and do not accumulate a year of service time. Okay. How do you feel about baseball piping in crowd noise? I like it. I, think I like it's stupid. it. I think that, um, I mean, there's a certain viewing aspect of a game with no fans where I think that like it'd be cool to hear what the players are saying and stuff. But I think that that would be that kind of become a broken record after a game or two. Um, so the crowd noise um, kind of authenticates well, at least when you're watching the game and the viewers of the pitcher throwing to the to the uh, to the batter. It kind of authenticates it because you don't just hear dead noise in the background. So then the only times really that you'll notice the no fans is when there's a fly ball in play, foul ball. It. it it won't be hard to notice, but at least it'll more casually it'll make it a little bit more authentic. And who's the the team? Which team is the one that came up with the um, cutouts in the in so the stands? It was I, actually, that is actually it was funny. actually the Korean Baseball League that started doing that, and then the San Francisco Giants were the first MLB team to do it. The White Sox are doing it for the first home stand. Actually, the cutouts are already sold out. So um, wait, I, so is it cutouts of? Like season ticket holders? Just of fans. You could purchase it, I believe it was for $75 for the first oh, home stand, and it right. sold out almost immediately. So um, That's pretty yeah. funny. I, I like that. Okay, so that's baseball. NBA, where do we stand with the NBA? So the NBA is my favorite restart. The top 22 teams in the league, so nine Eastern Conference teams and 13 Western Conference teams, reported to Disney World in Orlando. Um, they staggered it to where the bottom eight teams came first, and then the next eight, and then the top eight, and they're all staying at the bottom eight are staying at the same hotel, the middle eight are staying at the same hotel, and the top eight are staying at the same hotel. All the players, coaches, staff had to quarantine for the first 48 hours, and then they can go out. And one of the best things so far has been seeing on Twitter tracking the NBA bubble life because there's been a lot of complaining about the food, yeah. a lot of people saying that these players are privileged, privileged they shouldn't complain about the food. Um, the hotel. One of the most popular <laughs> things so far has been players have been fishing a lot, golfing. Um, I remember I saw a video of Udonis Haslam on the Heat ordered like a million Amazon packages in his room. <laughs> Patrick Beverly ordered like some really expensive wine and like a wine kit. So all it's it's been so funny. It's been so much fun to track. Um, so the NBA, they will start on the 30th, I believe. Major League Baseball starts on the 23rd with every other team starting on the 24th. So that's where the first two stand. Okay, so the NBA is more of a contact sport. Does it concern you that the risk is higher, it would seem, 
in the NBA for player-to-player contact to um, transmit the disease. So, so that's why the bubble for the NBA was mandatory, because if you can have every single player at one point or another test negative, if you can get the negative test rate all the way down to 0% by the time the games start, then the risk is incredibly low. But where the problem arises is if somebody comes into the bubble that has a virus, it would spread so much more easily, which hopefully the NBA is going to try to thwart by doing so many tests per day. Some players that have only been there for a couple of days are already on test number 20, 25. So they're on top of the testing. They're testing the players frequently. It would be really hard for something to slip in between the cracks, but if something were to slip in between the cracks, it'd be the most catastrophic for the NBA because of high level of contact. Okay, next uh, is the National Hockey League. Um, I have said repeatedly that this is the league that has the most to lose in terms of any traction of fans. Um, you, do you agree or no, disagree? No, really? Major League Baseball absolutely has really? the most to lose because baseball is falling behind. If baseball were to cancel the season, I don't think that they would recover. But I'm, at the same time, I think the hockey had the biggest opportunity to get ahead and start early, and that obviously didn't happen. But what the NHL is doing is... Um, I could be wrong, but I believe the top 12 teams maybe in each league. Uh, yeah, so the top 12 teams in each league um, are reporting to Toronto and Calgary and Edmonton. Toronto and Edmonton. Oh, that's right. Um, and teams 5 through 12 are doing a play-in tournament, but it's not playoffs because the regular season TV revenue has to come in. So it's 5 versus 12, 6 versus 11. And then that will set the five-game series for each each series, and then that will set the seating for a regular 16-team playoff. So, um, for instance, the Blackhawks play the Oilers in the first round, so to speak, 5 versus 12. Um, It's cool. It gives teams that probably weren't going to make the playoffs like the Blackhawks the opportunity um, to play in playoff-worthy games. And obviously, because of the tournament format, it's exciting. Love the tournament format. Yes. Um, So I think that that could give the NHL more fan traction, but um, not too much word on how the testing's been going with the NHL. Their big problem was so many players were not in the United States. I believe 40% of their players were out of North America at one point. So the problem for them is going to be to bring all their players home. But once that comes, negative tests, I think it'll be fine. Okay. Um, National Football League, we want to talk about as well, but I want to bring in a guest to help us uh, zero in on how the leagues are doing and how sports can actually return in the United States amidst the coronavirus uh, here in 2020. And to do that, we're going to call a friend of ours from WSCR Radio, David Haw, from the Mully and Haw Show. Joining us now from WSCR Radio in Chicago, one of the one half of the Mully and Haw show. It's David Haw, my old friend, joining us. David, thank you for joining the sportscaster and her son. You know, uh, we're doing a lot of this over the phone lately in the past four months. Uh, I bet you've been talking to more people over the phone than you have in person, too, as well, right? Without a doubt. You know, Peggy, I have been out of uh, the studio for nearly four months. I returned uh, Monday, today, July 13th, and I was out since March 20th. So that's a long time to be doing radio remotely. But you do what you got to do, and I think it's part of the new normal. And while I'll be returning to the radio studio safely and you know taking the precautions, I do think the way that we're covering sports will will change in, you know, in some ways forever because I think that what we'll find as you will find out, and I think Jason has not been around long enough to recognize this, but there will be an opportunity for, for sports teams to re- restrict and reduce access 
in a way that benefits them. And I think in a way that they probably always sort of wanted to do. Yep. And this now opens that door. Yeah. So, so gone are the days. I mean, when you and I, we'd be hanging out in the Bears uh, press room at, at their practice facility and there could be 30 media members um, in their pods at their desk. And then we we would cover a press conference and all sit in the same room Um and then press boxes, sometimes 200 media members uh, at games on Sundays. What What's changing? I mean, how are reporters covering the sports and the teams now? I mean, what's going on? Well, I, I fear a couple things. Number one, I, I don't think the numbers are ever going to be able to be that big for a while. And in terms of just this pure volume of people covering events. But, but more more importantly, I think that you're not going to see that many people inside the, the inner sanctums of these teams. You know, locker rooms and clubhouses are going to be considered more off limits. And it's going to be more of a virtual reporting experience. And when you get that, you can live with that. And I'm not sure the public will mind so much as they will notice if you're really a longtime, you know, savvy observer, because everything will start to be more homogenous and more alike. And you've already seen it. When the teams are controlling the message to the extent they they are, the people covering the the teams, the, the so-called mainstream media, they're not really able to get anything that's not that that, that feels original. Mm-hmm. And so everything starts to read the same, look the same, sound the same, and that's the challenge. So you've got to be more creative. So I think what you're going to see is people who have you know, independent thinkers and have good creativity and originality, they may stand out a little bit more because the coverage is going to be very, very homogenous. So there's still some time before the NFL announces a plan, still a little bit to go before the season starts. But right off the bat, what do you personally think is going to be the toughest adjustment to make from a reporting standpoint of the NFL? Well, the NFL has actually been a little bit further ahead of some of these other leagues in terms of keeping people away. So their 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 adjustment <laughs> and people people covering the NFL are not going to see a huge difference, except for maybe the the so-called open locker room time will be, you know, reduced. And uh, and I don't think you'll see that, but but that will be to to their advantage. And and I think probably more comfortable for teams because of of all the leagues. They're, they're more protective of everything. I, I just think that it's going to be a challenge to, to get information that is you know, valid and also credible and revealing because you know, we're, we're reaching a real important time here. You know, it's not just the secrets that you're trying to figure out who's going to be playing in the nickel defense and, and who the, who's the, the third wide receiver uh, you know, healthy this week. It's going to be like, What's what are the teams saying about the safety and, mm-hmm. and of of the practices and you know who is going to be testing positive and who isn't and, and that's that's any of our business but I think that you know your perspective changes in how you what what's important information as you move forward because it it's not as you know it's it's not as important to know as we've seen in these other sports necessarily what's what we're evaluating. It's not how good a player is at a certain skill. It's how available they are based on a positive or negative test. And that's going to be the difference. One of like the things that I value the most in sports reporting, at least, is like the personal perspective, the eye test, so to speak. So with 
practices obviously going to be very restricted, limited access. What is not going to like what's not going to be possible to report on because of the restrictions? Um, stuff that you'd see at practice, stuff that you'd see being around the team every day, assuming that so many restrictions will be in place, that everything's just going to be what you get from the coaches and from the PR people. What do you think is going to be unavailable to the media, unavailable to report? Um, I think you're, you're going to be surprised more often in the case of the NFL on Sundays in terms of who you see mm. available and, and what may have happened during the week that you may have no idea. So you, you could conceivably have a player – you know, who who doesn't show up in the lineup on Sunday at noon and it might be somebody who is your you know, your your left guard who's pretty anonymous most of the time, but you have a new offensive left guard, the other person's not even in uniform and you ask for what happened and it may not be anything that um, you know, they wanted to report during the week because nobody asked about it. What you're gonna have you know, if you don't ask about something you, you, they don't have to tell you, and yeah. if you can't see it for yourself, you're not going to know. So there's going to be a lot more surprises along the way, a lot more things that are difficult to anticipate. And, you know, I think that this is going to be a change that people are just going to have to get used to. And the level of reporting is just going to be more general and generic than it ever has been. So so let's talk about the actual sports returning now. Um, I'm in a bit of a conundrum because – I'm a boxing fan, and when people ask me, why do you love boxing? Like, I admit, I love the mano a mano, the grit. Uh, it's almost like watching a train wreck. It's almost like a gaper's block, uh, waiting for something bad to happen, um, waiting to see a guy get you know pummeled. Um, I, I, I want sports to return, but there's this really ugly seeping feeling that something bad is going to happen. And that's kind of what we're all standing by and it's wrong. And yet I like, I can't get away from that, David. I don't know how I'm supposed to be feeling about it and how are the leagues and teams supposed to be feeling about it? The NFL is the most contact sport. Guys would spit in each other's faces through their face masks at the line. I don't understand how this is going to be safe. You can't play football safe. So are we all just waiting for a train wreck to happen? I, I, that's an interesting way to put it. I, I think everybody's a little squeamish about it. And unfortunately, I think what's happening here is, is you're going to see decisions that are ultimately made based on the different levels of economic investment in the sport. So I think for when you're talking about the NFL, you know, it's, it's reasonable for people to justify or people will find ways to justify asking professionals um, to do their jobs and to take those risks because they feel like the rewards are worth it. When it comes to college football, I just don't see how that's conceivable because you're, you're, you're involving a secondary element to it when that's the parent and, and the parent in you is where, you know, that's where I think you're, you're, you're running into these, these problems because you know, the voice in your head is, is always like, how could you do this to my kid? And how am I going to let my kid go through that? And that's, you know, the, the, the parent aspect, I think it, it complicates the college sports experience. And there's no way that, you know, I see college football being able to be pulled off uh, without some sort of real ethical compromise. And, and I would hope that would be pushed off until 2021 when things might be safer and there might be some time that's bought. And then when it comes down to youth football and high school football, I just think that, you know, cooler heads 
have to prevail, and you, there 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 has to be you know somebody who steps in and and reminds everybody about you know ask this question, what are we doing here? So I, I think the NFL is, is a really difficult situation, but I understand it. I understand what's at stake because you know so much about the economy, um, so much of, about the you know people's well-being and livelihood are tied into that. But after that, I have. I think it, it, it's, a, it's a descending scale, but, but I think you've got to be conscious of all these questions that are impossible to answer at this point. And we're in mid-July. You know, we thought we'd be further along by now, but we are where we are, and you can't ignore it, and you just can't pretend like it's not as dangerous as you describe. And maybe we all are waiting for this tragedy that we want to all avoid and that will make us stand up and, and take notice but I hope it doesn't come to that. I know. I hope so too. Do you, do you think there's going to be NFL players that opt out of the season? Like we're seeing with baseball. You do Jason. Jason's nodding his head too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You do because they, they have such a shorter season, fewer games, um, not as much. Their contracts are not worth as much, but they also have a shorter career too. So a lot to lose if you opt out, don't you think? But a lot to gain for people behind them. So I think that it's going to be really difficult because the dynamics. See, I, I think that the people who are well-established, what you'll see in, in, in the NFL maybe you haven't seen as much in Major League Baseball is that people preserving their ability to, to make a living because they're already established. And that will open the door for people who haven't, who are you know, more willing to take that risk because it's, they, they feel like they can almost take, gain an advantage. But I, I do think you're going to see people um, players who, who opt out of, of this because there's just, I mean, baseball is a game that by definition is you can socially distance and, and it's outdoors and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not a contact sport. Football, there's no way around it. I'm surprised at hockey. We haven't seen more of that, but, um, I, you know, the mentality might be a little different, but definitely I think you're going to see NFL players that, um, if this, you know, July 28th is the first day of training camp, and that to me seems outrageous. Mm-hmm. But if that stays as the scheduled date, I think you're going to see teams that have players that step forward and say, oh, maybe not now. Do you think that there could be a domino effect if a major player in the NFL decides to opt out of the season? Other major players would follow suit because my biggest fear from a baseball fan standpoint is that a guy like Mike Trout opts out of the season and then other players at or near his level decide to opt out because they're like, well, if the best player in the league doesn't think it's worth it, then I don't think it's worth it. The playing field's not going to be level. May as well just sit out the season. Do you think the NFL could see that? I do think that it depends on who the player is. You know, if the, if the NBA bubble is first because LeBron James positive test or if something happens to him, it certainly has a different impact than if you have, you know, the eleven player on the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, so I do think that's a valid point. And if, you know, if Tom Brady opts out of his first season in Tampa Bay, it definitely has a verbal uh, effect. That isn't the same if you have your, your nickel back for, you know, the Bears or whoever who wants to back out. So there's definitely that element to it, but um, that's just human nature. I, I don't know that that's right because if you know, if these guys have injuries, the season goes on without them. But I think that because it's not necessarily an injury, it's more of a judgment call when somebody way it's going to have a profound impact more so than um, than would it for somebody whose name you don't necessarily recognize. Well, I, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, I'm, 
we both miss sports terribly. Is there any other of the leagues, David, that jump out at you that you see? You know, I've been arguing that the NHL has the most to lose. Jason thinks baseball has the most to lose. Um, I just think that NHL fan bases are um, not as secure in some cities, and that's why they have the most to lose. But at the same time, I love the tournament formats that they're doing because it's so easy to get into without having to follow a team for the entire year. Anything jump out at you with any of the leagues that um, you know throw up flags for you? Well, I'll say this: the NHL has probably the most has much to lose with anybody, but also as much more to gain because of their status and because of the way they structure their tournament. And also, here's another thing: they're in Canada. You know, they're going to Canada, and they're probably safer up there for the duration of their postseason than than the teams and leagues that are, you know, in America, where things the numbers continue to rise. I think the NFL probably. Um, has the most financial, uh, to, financially speaking, to lose because of what the sport represents in the American economy. So I think people would come back to that. Um, Major League Baseball to me is at a very precarious spot because you know we we they trust in in the system is, is diminished. Um, there's no credibility in the commissioner's office, and I think that. People wonder why it took this long to get to this point. So if they have to cancel baseball and we go 2020 without a season for whatever reason moving forward, I think that Major League Baseball would have the most difficult time recovering because of the contentious nature of the negotiations that still got to the point where all we were worried about were positive negative testing and the protocol and safety of players. It got really messy at that point, so I think they have the most of it. Okay, last question. Which of the two is more likely in your opinion all three sports that are restarting at the end of the month so baseball basketball hockey finishing their se- starting and finishing their season successfully or college football and pro football having seasons period i think the first one is more likely i think that, that's a really good question um i think the first one is more likely because I don't see a scenario that makes sense to me where there's going to be a college football season. And I love college football more than any other sport that I've ever covered. I've played it. I loved it. I, I still love it. And it bothers me that um, that's reality, but I also think it's the smartest way to go. There's really not a lot to lose from moving a college football season to the spring or beginning it after the first of the year. To me, you could justify it. You could sell it. You could still market it. And, don't tell me the NFL draft is in the way in the league back to cooperate. You know, you're talking about a smaller percentage of, of people affected there. Play it and do the safe thing, do the right thing. But I think that that means not playing this season. So the question is, I think the NFL will have a sense, some type of a season. Maybe they have to start later, but they'll play. College football won't. And the other three leagues, I think, you know, and fingers crossed, will start to finish on time. I think you're kind of breaking Jason's heart right now. Like he, he had his Saturdays in Austin all lined up this fall. <laughs> well, I can tell you, you're going to enjoy those when you get to enjoy them because I, I've had a first up close personal experience with Evo, and he is quite he's worth the, uh, the price of admission. Um, that's, a, that's a great Saturday afternoon in, in Austin, but I just don't know that you're going to be able to experience it for, for a while. But um, 
I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think that college football is going to be put on the back burner. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate your perspective. Miss seeing you out and about uh, covering sports, but it's still great to hear you on the score in the mornings. Thank you. Same here, Peggy. Thanks a lot. And Jason, good luck. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you to David Hoff for joining us. Um, apologies for his phone starting to break up there, but uh, it happens these days. This is how it goes when we're doing everything uh, online and recording phone calls and things like that. So, um, but great to hear from him and get his perspective. Um, gosh, you know, I'm I'm hopeful, but I just feel like Jason that sports is going to start and they're going to finish. Not their seasons. They're going to end prematurely. I just I just worry about it that much, but I hope I'm wrong. Anyways, you have some predictions for yeah, us? Yeah, so my first prediction, I completely agree that there won't be a college football season. Logistically, it's impossible. We already saw the first two dominoes fall with the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceling non-conference games and with the Ivy League canceling sports overall um the ivy league was the first where they were the first teams to cancel spring sports um those two things that's comparing apples to oranges but it's still interesting everybody's gonna say the ivy league they know better than all of us so uh i think that there will not be a college football season my second prediction is there will be an nfl season but it's going to start a lot later than we think i don't think it starts at least until after columbus day weekend um and that could be right in the middle of the second the second wave so um nfl I I don't know, but I know for a fact that training camp certainly won't start on the 28th, and the season certainly won't start the first week of September. There's no chance. Um, Okay, my final prediction is that the sport that is going to benefit the most from their restart is the NBA. The bubble has been huge on social media. The tournament format works great for every sport, but the NBA is a global game. Everybody's going to love the NBA's restart. It's been great. It's been fun to follow. The players have been so personable. I think the NBA is going to flourish regardless of how the season finishes, regardless of people wanting to to, deva- to devalidate. That's even a word. Um, whoever wins the championship, I think that the NBA is going to benefit by far the most out of any sports reset plan. Uh, I have a prediction. You're not going to take off that T-shirt for a while. Tell us the I T-shirt you're wearing. I'm going to go change in a little bit, but um, I'm wearing a Michael Kopik Charlotte Knights T-shirt that I got at Sox Fest two years ago. Um, so, yes, it still fits me. Uh, but, no, I'm in need of a new White Sox jersey. I'll wait till the season starts. The new Nike jerseys are so expensive. They're like 250 bucks. Wow. Um, so maybe wait a little bit, but, um, no, I, I love this shirt. Do you have any prediction about the name on on the back of the shirt? Michael Kopech? He'll be back in 2021. He'll, he still has a rotation spot. They still have a big plan for him. And if anything, getting him for a full season in 2026 beats the hell out of getting him for 60 games in 2020. I love it. I love it. So here are my closing thoughts. And even though I still have a few weeks away, this is at the forefront of my mind. Jason and his brother, his twin, will be leaving for separate colleges in just a few short weeks. You know, I never really thought about this day coming um, before, I guess, before COVID hit. I always just kind of took one day at a time. Don't look too far ahead. Don't look too far behind. But now, because of COVID-19, 
and the world that we're living in, I just don't know how you let your kids go and let them fly, especially in these times. Will they remember to wash their hands? I mean, I don't know. You, you heard Jason. He was like, I'll wash my hands, but I'm not carrying sanitizer. He's not going to use the sanitizer unless he has to entering a classroom. I know that. Will he even remember to call home? Lord knows I did not. When I went to college 40 years ago almost, I never called home. Now, back then, we didn't have cell phones, of course. It was the kitchen phone. So if you called home, everybody, you know, was in the kitchen at the time, and you just heard all the background. Um, You know, there was no texting or anything like that. So I think that he and his brother will call. I think that they will be texting. And um, as of this taping of the podcast, I'm still not even quite sure how we're going to move the boys into two colleges in two separate states with both having different COVID-19 coping rules. One has quarantine before we go. You have to bring a coronavirus test too. Uh, Will we have to quarantine when we get home? And if so, then how do we take the next one off to college if we're quarantining? So that means we're probably, my husband and I are going to have to take one each and we won't both go together. And that just breaks my heart. What happens when we get there? Well, again, one school says no parents in the dorms. Oh, Lord, I just know those boxes are never going to get unpacked. I mean, I go up in their room and there's still Christmas gifts in the boxes sitting in their rooms. If we don't get to help them unpack their dorms, I mean, oh my gosh, I know they can do it. And I'm not being a helicopter parent. And I know it sounds like I am, but you just want those last moments I want to see where he's going to be living next year. I want to meet his roommate. I want to see what it looks like, uh, the layout. It's, it's going to be very, very difficult. I never, ever thought that I would be one to cry. But boy, oh boy, I just am feeling it already that this is going to be tough. Going from five people in the house to just three of us. And one of them is a 12-year-old that eats like a bird. So it's really going to be like cooking for two. I came from a family of 10. I don't know how to cook for two or three people. Change is in store. I just, I know it. I also know this, that because of the pandemic, we have spent more time together and we have talked more than I think we would have had that not happened. And I'm confident that I have said most everything that I want them to hear. Now it's left up to the man upstairs. And all I can do is pray and appreciate these final few weeks with two teenagers still driving me crazy. Our thanks to David Haw, our guest. He is the co-host of the Mully and Haw Morning Show on WSCR The Score in Chicago. You can follow David on Twitter at David Haw. That's spelled D-A-V-I-D-H-A-U-G-H. Or follow his show at Mully Haw. Listen to their podcast as well, available on Apple. 
And you can always subscribe to our podcast, The Sportscaster and Her Son, right here on Apple or SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, and wherever you listen. Reminder, if you love our podcast, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the sportscaster and her son.com. Thank you to Adam Yaffe for his support and expertise in driving the podcast, artwork and logo designed by Shay Canander. Thank you all for listening. On behalf of Jason and myself, we'll see you next time. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.